Amen. All right. So we're going to look at the last section of chapter 6 today. But we really need to understand a little bit about the context and how we got here. You remember two weeks ago when we were together, we were uh, finishing chapter 5. And the Bible was talking to us about being a new creation. And we talked about how God had reconciled us to himself and now given us the ministry of reconciliation and called us to be ambassadors. And so there's a lot of very famous uh, passages that a lot of people memorize there in chapter 5, especially towards the, the end. And then remember last week, Pastor Matt brought us into chapter 6. Now, look at how chapter 6 begins. How are we going to be ambassadors? What do we do with this this new creation idea, and how does this sanctification work in our lives? And it begins, chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And it was very important that you understood last week that it is possible to receive the grace of God in vain and what that means. And so if you missed that message, I would encourage you to listen or watch it online And so that you can put all these pieces together, because that's a very shocking reality to a lot of people in our day, that you could receive the grace of God in vain. Then notice what happens after that is just a long list all the way through verse 10 of all of the challenges and struggles and trials that the Apostle Paul has faced as he has ministered not only to the church at Corinth, but to all the churches that he's ministering to. And then we come to the passage we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 11. So based on the fact that we work together with him, that sanctification is not just something that happens by osmosis, that to be clear, the moment we're saved, God initiates the process of sanctification, whether we want it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we He does. But the key to understanding this is, is that we work together with Him, meaning the way we experience sanctification is going to be entirely dependent on how we cooperate with sanctification. God's going to sanctify all of His children willingly or unwillingly. And trust me, you don't want unwillingly. You got me? So sanctification is something we partner with God and cooperate with God in. Then the Bible says in verse 11, We have spoken freely to you, Paul says, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. I, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, look at verse 12. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. What is Paul telling the church at Corinth? What is God saying to me and you this morning about this issue of growing in Christ and becoming more Christ-like and participating in what God's doing in our lives and how the experience of this process is predicated on how we respond to it. Notice the church in Corinth, just like the church at Michael Memorial, 
They think they've been restricted by what? Clearly, they think they've been restricted by Paul. Now, we know, because we've studied through first and all the way this far in 2 Corinthians, we know that false doctrine has come into the church at Corinth. Now, think about this. What are the false teachers saying? The false teachers are trying to bring the uh, legalism into the church. They're trying to bring Judaism in and mesh it together. They're saying, listen, we're, we're not anti-Jesus, but you've got to follow all the laws and go through all the rituals and Jesus now, Paul comes along and he says, no, we're free. You're free from the law. You're free by the blood of Christ. And God's done this amazing work in you. And now you can live out in that freedom, motivated and compelled by the goodness of God in your life, obey from that posture. Now, which one of those feels more restricting? Obviously, it seems doesn't it? That the first one would be more restricting. But yet what we find is that people gravitated towards the false doctrine in, light, in, in lieu of the true gospel. Now, why would they go to, because trust me, it's not they, it's us. Why would we keep getting drawn over into this legalistic false doctrine as opposed to being free in Christ? Why would we because we want to know what's going on. We want to be in control. See, we love an environment, especially a religious environment, where if we do this and this and this, we're okay. Just tell me what to do so I can do it, and so then I'm okay. Right? We have, listen, some of the largest denominations in the world are predicated on this. People flock to it, and they love it. Because all you got to do is check a little box and then just go on about your merry way. And so the, the true gospel feels restricting because, well, it's more complicated, in a sense. It's a relationship. See, if you just give me a couple rules, that's going to be... Way easier than a relationship. Can I get an amen from the married people in the room? A relationship's way harder. Because you got to work at it constantly. And, you, and a lot of times in a relationship, you're not sure where you are. You're not sure if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You're not sure, you know, how's it going. But if, if all i got to do is mow the grass and take out the trash, and everybody's going to be happy. Praise the Lord. That is going to be so much easier. But that's not how it works. See? So look. He says you're not restricted by us. But you are restricted. And what are you restricted by? Your affection. See, the, the Corinthians, just like many of us today. Some of us in the room. You're not experiencing what you could be and should be experiencing in God, and the reason why is you're restricting yourself by your affections. Your affections are what's preventing you from walking with God in the way that you know you should, that you desire to, maybe the way that you used to at one time in the past. It's your affections. See, what Paul is saying is, he's saying to a group of, of people who, people who know Christ, he's saying, 
Your lives aren't small. You've met Christ. You know Christ. But you're living in a very small way. I think a lot of people today are living small. A lot of people in churches today that preach the gospel are living small lives. You're living in a way that you ought not live based on who you know. Now, let's lay out some simple principles that you know are true, but are going to help guide us today. Okay, here's a couple principles that are going to help guide us. First of all, affections determine direction. We learn this extensively in 1 Corinthians. And direction determines destination. So, if we're going to get to where we want to go, we're going to have to be moving in the direction of where we want to go. Because if we're not, if we're just drifting, we're going to end up in a place we never intended to be and certainly don't want to be. But what, what drives your direction is your affections. Because we are created by God to be driven by affection. That's what we do. We are at our core. We are, we are basically people who operate by love. We, we do things that we like to do, that we love to do, that we, we, are, we, we don't even have to think about. We don't have to force ourselves. All the things that you have to discipline yourself to do are, you, are things you're trying to climb up, overcome an affection issue. All the things that are just naturally in your affection zone, they just come natural to you. And you do them. And what happens is, is we find ourselves in a situation. Remember several weeks ago, I challenged you to think about, is there a time in the past where you were walking closer with God than you are now? And I said, well, why is that? How did that happen? Why is that? How is it that you've walked with God longer? You've, you've had more opportunity to get to know God, to learn about God, to, to spend time with God. And yet you find yourself today further away, seemingly, than you were to him at some point in the past. And what happens is, in that moment, you realize that you're not, you're not experiencing life in Christ the way it was intended to be. And when you think about this, and I challenge you to, to think about why that is, you start thinking about external things. You start thinking about, well, uh, uh, it's because of this circumstance in my life or this person in my life or this situation in my life or this happening I was I was going along close with God I was walking close with God and then this happened and I went this way that's what we always think about listen it's it's not your the problem is not another person and it's not a circumstance the problem is not external the problem is internal Whatever you think the problem is, is not the problem. That's just, uh, that's what's a, a symptom of the problem. The problem is at its root an internal problem. It's a heart problem. It's an affection problem. Because if you're not somewhere you think you ought to be, it's because you want to be somewhere else more. It's that simple, isn't it? Absolutely. When your alarm clock goes off, you prove this true 
every single day when your alarm clock goes off. A war sets off in your head between what you should do and what you want to do, right? And in that moment, 10 more minutes of sleep, it seems so compelling. But once you get up and you get moving and you get after it and you look back and you think, that it was just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But in that moment, you see, it, your affection is, I just want to sleep 10 more minutes. I just, I just want to lay here. And so we, we all move in the direction of the promises we believe. And so if we're moving in the direction of something, whatever it is, whatever it is, you believe a promise about that, and it's probably untrue. But you believe a promise about it. You believe a promise that it's, it's going to be okay if you just do it for a little while. It's not going to have lasting consequences or nobody's going to find out or whatever the case may be. It's just some promise. But I'm telling you, our heart determines our direction. And then here's what happens. We get derailed by all these things. And, and really the most common way we get derailed is through condemnation. Because what condemnation does is it comes into your head and it starts, you, you start getting condemned about something, about mistakes you've made or this or that or whatever the case may be. And then what happens is, is that the greater things that you ought to be pursuing seem inaccessible because condemnation is telling you, well, God's not going to do that for you or, or, oh, now you want to do that when what happened to you doing this or I mean, condemnation is a crippler. It's a killer. That's why the Bible speaks so much about condemnation and wants us so many passages in the New Testament at their core are dealing with our identity in Christ so that we are not slaves to condemnation. Because it, it hits us right there in our heart where our direction is being formed from. And that's the, the ultimate essence of evil is to develop in us preferences for things other than God. That's all the enemy wants to do. Listen, the enemy doesn't necessarily care what it is. Of course, the, of course he would love it to be the most destructive and, and damaging thing possible, but anything other than God will do. Anything other than God will do. Just to get you to have affections for other things which will determine your direction, which is ultimately going to determine your destination. And so he just wants to get you off your destination. And the way to do that is with your affections. So how do we deal with this problem? How do we solve this? How do we recalibrate, if we will? How do we, if we come into church this morning and we say, you know, Pastor Tony, look, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm not where I want to be. Or maybe I'm not doing good at all, and I'm way far from where I want to be, or anything in between, or wherever you are. What do I do? How do I, what would the Bible tell me to do, in other words, to get my direction back on track so that I'm pointed to the right destination? How do I, how do I protect myself against wrong affections? How do I weed these affections in my life out? 
so that I would have this burning desire for God. See, maybe you... Maybe you're even thinking of somebody that you know right now. Maybe somebody in your family or somebody you're in D group with or community group with, and you're thinking, and, and you just think, man, they are so on fire for God. I wish I could be like that. Okay, well, this passage will get us there. So notice what the Apostle Paul does. He's going to draw our attention to two simple things to recalibrate our direction to make sure that we're moving towards the right destination. And the first one is relationships. Relationships. Because again, remember, the Corinthians, just like many of us, are restricted by our affections. And why is that? Because we we are choosing other things other than the true gospel, which is based on relationship. And it seems crazy, but the reason we do that is because relationships are challenging and hard. Notice what he says in verse 14. So do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or it's just another name for Satan. On what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So Paul starts talking about relationships. And what Paul says is, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now oftentimes we hear this verse in the context of marriage. And of course it absolutely applies to marriage because that is the most prominent and important human relationship we'll enter into. But it's way more than that. It's not just that. It's, it's all of our relationships. What Paul is saying is because you're in relationship with God, therefore you can't be unequally yoked or connected to someone who is an unbeliever. That goes for your dating relationships. That goes for your friendships. That goes for all sorts of relationships, as we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. I'm going to spend some time on some of these relationships to help us through some of this, but it's all relationships that we would be connected to. So let's make sure that we understand what we're talking about, because a lot of times, as soon as we enter into this uh, conversation, people already are talking themselves out of things. In other words, there's, there, this is what we do. I talk to people about things like this all the time. I'll reference this verse, and they'll say, yeah, but I don't, I'm, I'm not yoked to them. I mean, I, I, I know them. I work with them. I, I talk to them every day, but, like, we're not real close. No. Listen, if you're connected to somebody, which means if you talk to them, and they talk to you on a regular basis, then you should take note. You're connected. See, we're not talking about a casual acquaintance that you've talked to one time or that you bump into twice a year. We're talking about people you're connected to, people that you live with, people that you work with, people that you worship with, people that you uh, spend time with when you're in your free time, people that you... Uh, 
you know, when, you are, when you're participating in your hobbies or whatever it is that you do that with. What, those are people that you're yoked to, you're connected to. And those people are impacting your life either for good or for evil, one way or the other. See, what happens is, is that we don't realize that when we're connected to people in relationship and there's a steady flow of informational exchange, and it doesn't have to flow both ways. Sometimes it can be a primarily one way. I mean, I would, I would say you need to be very careful about somebody that you're just listening to on a consistent basis. You better be careful because it would fit into this category because there's a consistent flow of information. That relationship is going to start to influence you strongly. And if you're not careful, it will dampen your affections for Christ. And that's why you need to make sure that anyone that you're connected to relationally has the same destination for their life as you have for your life. That is so important. Now, I don't think anyone is going to argue the point that the relationships that we have in our life, that they affect our behavior. Look, if you've raised kids, you know this. That you, who your kids are around, your kids act differently depending on who they've been around. So some of you got some super wicked cousins, and when your kids are around their cousins, they come home, they're like little demons. It takes you two weeks to exercise the demon out of them. Right? Yes. Well, we're the same way. It never changes. We're, our, our behavior is greatly impacted by our relationships, our activities. See, how, well, the, you do things. Well, well, why do you do things? Well, because I like them. Well, how did you find out that you like them? You didn't do that by yourself. You were, you were in a relationship with somebody that, that, that brought you into that, showed you that, taught you that, invited you to do that, whatever the case may be. Then you discovered that you liked it. It was in the context of relationships, our behavior, our activities, and our affections. Our affections are our flow through relationship with one another. We're shaped by relationships. So we have to be very, very careful about who we allow into our lives. Now, is this verse saying that what we should do is we should all get together and pool all our money together and go buy a big plot of land out in the desert and build a tall block fence around it and live in a commune, and our wives wear uh, bonnets and sew all our clothes. Negative, that sounds horrible. The bonnet, the desert, the whole thing sounds horrible. Horrible. No. This is not some, uh, this verse is, is clearly not calling us to never have any contact with or any relationship with unbelievers. Listen, Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? So clearly that's not what the Bible's teaching us. Remember in, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. 
not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would have to go out of the world. See, clearly, that's not what the Bible's calling us to. The Bi- that's why the Bible says yoked, connected to, influenced by. So here's, a, here's the best way I know to explain what Paul's saying. People who walk with Christ walk with people who walk with Christ. The entire Bible teaches this. The entire Bible. If you know someone who walks with Christ, I don't need to know anything more. I automatically know they walk with other people that walk with Christ. There's no such thing as a person walking with Christ who is walking with a bunch of people that don't walk with Christ. That won't work. That can't work. That would make everything that I've said thus far untrue. We've got to make sure the people that are closest to us have the same goals as us. That's a a responsibility that we have to take, that we have to take seriously. So remember Paul said, for example, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, do not be deceived. It's interesting, Paul loves to say, do not be deceived at certain times because what he's about to say is obviously something that many people are deceived by. But then there's hundreds of times where he just says a truth. But certain times where he says, do not be deceived. And one of those times in 1 Corinthians, there's several, but one of them is in chapter 15, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, is that, is that debatable? Does, does that mean sometimes? Mm-mm. No, 100% of the time. Proverbs 13, 20 says, If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 100% of the time. It always is true because we are made by God. Why? We're made by God to be influenced through relationship. Why? Because he made us to be in relationship with him. In other words, if the point of everything, some of you are going to be like, what? I never thought of that before. Hello, if the point of everything is for me and you to be Christ-like, then wouldn't a God who knows everything and can do anything create a people in his image who are relationally influenceable because he knew we would enter into relationship with him, therefore that's how we would become Christ-like. But that's the good side. But the downside is is that if we rebel against that and the same relatableness that we have and we, we get into relationships with things we shouldn't, it goes the other way. Well, yes. Listen, no one ever gets where they want to be on accident. Ever. It never happens. But so oftentimes, 
will go through the religious motions. I'm telling you. I think if you open your heart to this, you'll admit that there's been times in your journey with God you've been restricted by your affections. I have. It's affections. That's how we get off course. And so what we got to do is we got to analyze our our relationships. We got to we got to focus in on relationships. Who is in my life? Who am I connected to? Who whose voice do I hear and who hears my voice back? Where am I receiving information because wherever I'm in relate and and here's the thing, if think about this, who am I in relationship with? I'm in relationship with with people that I care about. My affections. So what if I care about someone who I shouldn't care about? In other words, not that you shouldn't care about them, but what if you're in a relationship with someone and, they're, and, and you're connected to them and you're realizing right now they got to get out? How am I going to deal with that? Well, that's good because that's the next thing Paul goes to. See, the first one is relationship. The second thing we have to look at is this issue of residence. Residence. Knowing our hesitation because we're relational people. I've, I mean, listen, in 25 years, come on, let's think about it. I've had every conversation under the sun. I mean, it, it starts in youth ministry, and it just goes all the way until death. Where I'm talking with somebody, and there's clearly a, there's a problem, and we get to the, and I know it's an affection problem. I'm just trying to sort out what it is. I'm trying to help them figure out what it is. And we start getting to the bottom of it. We start, we start I'm looking at relationships, and I realize, look, you got some relationships in your life that are unhealthy. And you say, well, Pastor Tony, we, we went to preschool together. We, we've been friends for 30 years. I'm related to them. What about that one? Now, did the Bible say, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever unless you've been friends with them for 30 years? What if they're in your family? You got you to take up this issue of residence. Look at what he says. Look at 16, the second half of 16. He says, for we are, knowing how difficult this is going to be, we're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, notice what God does. God takes relationship and now moves it into the context of residency in the same exact sentence. In other words, I'm going to make my dwelling among them, and I'm going to walk with them in relationship. 
So it's not just that we're in relationship with God, but now there's this residency issue where God's going to dwell among us and walk with us, those two things at the same time. Which means this, wherever I go, God goes. So what does that mean? So that means that whoever I'm connected to, whoever I'm yoked to, God is yoked to. You see, the, 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 the way that you can understand why God is so forceful about this issue that our bodies are the place God has chosen to live. That's where he's chosen to live. Now, I just want to point some things out to you. You know, you may be the most free-willing, like, easygoing, wide-open person on the face of the earth. But you, you're pretty picky about who lives with you. You don't just let anybody move in with you. Like somebody, there's, no, there's never been a situation where somebody knocked on your door and said, excuse me, can I move in? And you said, come on. I mean, if there's anywhere in your life you got a high screening process, it's going to be for who's going to live with you, right? Yes. Why is that? Well, I don't think I need to explain that. But hey, if God lives in you, then don't you think God's going to have a say-so in who you're inviting to live in there too? Well, of course He is. See, in the Old Testament, the temple was a place where you would go for, to find the presence of God. If you wanted to meet with God, that's where God resided, was at the, the temple. And so what Paul does is he flips this completely upside down. And he's saying the temple is no... Is no longer a place you go to, but it's a people. The temple, the, the dwelling place of God is a people. It's us, it's me, it's you. So the presence of God is now dwelling in you. So wherever I go, wherever we go as God's sons and daughters, that God goes with us. And two things are true about this. On one hand, that is amazing. That everywhere I, that God walks with me and he walks with you. So wherever you go and whatever you go through, God goes through that with you. Isn't that amazing? Yes. But on the other hand, that's terrifying. Isn't that terrifying? Yes, that's terrifying. Because what we do is we try to convince ourselves that we can go places and do things. That, and God's not really there and he doesn't really see that. But that's not true. That every bad decision we've ever made... As a believer, we bring God into that. God's there with us. Every sinful thought that we think, God knows that. He's there because he's within us. That's, that's terrifying. And here's what, the, what you've got to realize. Why is it terrifying? It's not terrifying because somebody is there. Because a lot of the bad decisions we made, we didn't make alone. And we didn't mind making a bad decision with other people there. The problem's not that someone else is there. The problem's not that someone else is watching. The problem is who it is that's there and who it is that's watching. It's the fact that God is watching, that God is there. 
That's what the Bible wants us to see. Now, listen. The thing, when you realize what the Bible has to say about this, you, you think, man, God is harsh. Listen, he, remember he said back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Yikes! For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You see? See, I think of God in this way like the sun. The, not the S-O-N, the S-U-N. The sun. The sun is this glorious majestic but mysterious thing so the the sun it gives us light it gives us warmth so much of what we enjoy in this life we can tie to the fact that we have the sun and the, we marvel at the sun and and when you move when you 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 could be cold like this morning when i got here it was really cold and but but there's no sun but then the sun comes out and it gets better and the and you can move closer to the sun and you are out in the sun you can be cold in the shade and get out in the sun and it warms you up and you can be grateful and thankful for the sun and the sun is amazing and wonderful but there's a lot of things we don't really fully understand about the sun but here's the thing you can't get too close to the sun you get too close to the sun and it's going to kill you well see god think about moses at the burning bush Moses sees the bush burning. He, real, he, he, he realizes it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he goes over to investigate and realizes that it's God. And what's the first thing that happens? God says, Moses, you need to take your shoes off. Now. Because this ground you're standing on, you, you can't stand on this ground. You get too close to this, you'll die. It's holy. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He says, God, I want to see your glory. God's like, you can't see my glory. You'll die. You got to get behind this rock, and I'm going to show you a glimpse of it, because if you get more than that, you're going to die. Isaiah enters into the throne room of God. He has a vision where he enters in, and he sees God on his throne. And he doesn't, he doesn't see God high and lifted up and go, this is amazing. This is, look at this place look at God look at these angels look at he doesn't say any of that he says woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips that's what happens when you get close to God and so we think well that's why I don't want to get close to God I'd rather just know God from a distance that's not true that's not true See, no one that God's taken up residence in says that with a pure heart. You might say that, but you're lying. Here's what you're saying when you say that. If you don't want to get close to God because you're afraid of God, it's what, what you're really saying is that you don't want to give up the affections that you have that are more important than God. That's what, that's what you're saying. You see, because... The Bible teaches us the truth about ourselves, and what the Bible teaches about our affections is that the more we experience of God, the more we want of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And so therefore, 
When we don't want God, it's not that we don't want God. It's that we're wanting something else. We have a heart problem. We have a, a, an affection problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, again, Paul says, do not be deceived. I'm trying to point this out to you, how certain things are so deceptive. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You got that? In other words, you... You don't think that uh, relationship and residency are important to God? Then you come to a verse like this and you just think, there's a lot of people that, that won't even have anything to do with God because of verses like this. But look at what it says. According to God, not according to what... See, God doesn't say what we want Him to say. He says what is true what he says he says sex outside of marriage is the same as homosexuality it's on the same list now we we have different ideas a lot of us about that that's not what God says God says embezzling is the same as being a sodomite what he says God says being intoxicated and committing adultery same consequence see you're all looking at me like in disbelief what God says in your Bible you should read it being greedy you see the word in that list, nor revilers. You know what a reviler is? Remember, what are the consequences of things on this list? They won't inherit the kingdom of God. You know what a reviler is? It's a gossip. You know what you're feeling right now? You're feeling like, wow, God is so judgmental, so harsh. We really thought we were coming to church today to hear this big love sermon. Well, it is a love sermon. That's why he tells you the truth, because he loves you. See, if we're the temple of God, then don't you think God's going to have something to say about what we do with the temple? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Maybe you're here. And you're thinking, man, I need to clean some things up in my life. I need to, I need to deal with some things. I got some, I've got some relationships in my life that need to be addressed. They need to be, I need to disconnect from. See, I didn't say disown. You need to unyoke. That's what you need to do. Maybe you're related to them. Doesn't matter. Maybe you went to preschool together. Doesn't matter. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not going to do it. Okay. It's going to matter. Because what did Paul say? 
What does the Bible say? Don't, not what Pastor Tony says. Hey, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to educate you. He said, he who defiles the temple, I'll do what? Destroy. That's what he said. So you, you, I mean, you make the decision, okay? I'm not making the decision for you. I'm just letting you know what's hanging in the balance. Maybe there's some people you need to disconnect from. Maybe there's some things you need to disconnect from. Maybe there's things that are affecting your affections. You're involved in things. You're making decisions about things. And your affections are leading you astray. You're restricted, not by the gospel. Isn't it interesting where we started? You think the gospel's restricting you, but what's really restricting you is not the gospel. It's your affections. It's your affections. So here's the good news. The good news is, is that God's made provision for this. See, God doesn't just come along and say, you know, you're new creations and you've been reconciled to God and you're going to and now you're ambassadors for Christ. And then you're going to work with him in the process of sanctification and you're going to address these relationships and you're going to take into consideration this residency. And so you've all messed up. So you've blown it. So what you know, it's over now. No. No, God's made provision. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now what he says. And this is why this, this principle is so important. Because what we're about to do is, is participate in the Lord's Supper. And the first thing you've got to understand before you even begin to consider entering into this moment is, is that you cannot cleanse yourself. You never could and you never will be able to. The only way to be cleansed is by God through Christ. That's the only way. So you confess your sin and God does the cleansing. But you cannot cleanse yourself. Now understand who, who we're talking about. We're talking about a God who says, I'm going to dwell with them and I'm going to walk with them. So here's what that means. That means that in your weakness... He's there, and He's offering you strength. It means when you feel like you're not enough, He's there reminding you that you're His son or His daughter. It means that when you're fearful, He's there reminding you not to be afraid. When you're brokenhearted, He's there to bind up your wounds. When you step out in faith, He's there empowering you to press on. When you don't know what to do, He's there to lead you and to guide you. When you're exhausted, He's there to give you rest. When you're anxious, He's there to give you peace. What God's saying to me and you today is He's saying, listen, relationship matters. Residency matters. But I'm already in this thing. See, this isn't a message to people that are considering Christianity. This is a message to people who are already Christians. See, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, well then good. Now you have a great idea about what you'd be getting into. But if you are a Christian, it's too late. 
you're already in relationship. He's already taken up residency. So now we got to deal with some things. We got to deal with them. And understand this. Right living does not produce right standing ever. Right standing produces right living. The reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to restore right standing. It's, to, it's a reminder of the fact that God placed us in right standing with Him. That what we're celebrating, His broken body and His shed blood, put us in right standing with Him, made us sons and daughters. It's a reminder of the relationship. It's a reminder of the residency so that we don't drift off course and end up in the wrong destination. You see? He's so invested. Look at how invested He is in this relationship and in this residency. That He says what you do is every so often you're going to pause And you're going to remind yourself. But you're not just going to remind yourself. No, it's more than that. The Bible says you're going to examine yourself before you do this. See, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says, Whoever therefore eats of this bread and drinks of this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That is not talking about unbelievers. It's talking about believers. We are called to examine ourselves and to take seriously discerning the body. Take seriously the relationship and the residency that's before us.